everyone. <laughs> hey, I'm Stevie. Hi, I'm Emily. Welcome to the Sex Files. How you doing? Um, I also forgot to tell you that I got a notification saying that there are new restrictions for COVID in New York. Impending doom. I know. The mood. I saw that too. I saw NYC is really close to a second, to a major second wave. And I was like, oh, better get it over with quick because I'm coming in March. Yeah, seriously. Did we tell you listeners that we're moving in together? <laughs> Should yeah. we tell them that? Yeah, why not? <laughs> we're moving in together. <laughs> like I just announced our engagement or something. <laughs> well, it's true. A little bit. A little I'm, bit like that. I'm sick of California. I've been here my whole 22 years. I want to pull a Jillian and just pack up and move to New York. So I am. Fuck yeah. And we're going to have the coolest feminist apartment ever. 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 It's going to be amazing. We're going to have to get new recording equipment though because apparently it is harder to record in person than it is um, remotely. Remotely. I like your little flower, flower butterfly hat. It does kind of look like a flower though. Thanks. This is one of my favorite hats. It's like light pink and it has a little butterfly on it. I feel baseball. I felt very much like Jillian today in my sports bra and giant jean jacket and baseball cap in the park with a child. Not my child. I, I nanny. <laughs> I don't have a child. <laughs> um, so for our little sex corner today, this evening, uh, we're answering one of our questions. We've gotten so many amazing questions and thank you for mm-hmm. sending them and please keep them coming because the amount of serotonin that I get when I see a new <laughs> question is maybe unhealthy, but no, that's but okay. No, why would it be unhealthy? It brings me a lot of joy. I like seeing all of your questions and like just yeah. lovely, lovely messages. Um, do you want me to read the question? Yeah. Can I preface this? Yeah. Um, I was up very late last night. And so I'm feeling a little self-conscious about my voice. Um, you don't have to. I'll keep it in if crying. you... You literally sound so beautiful. Thank you. You sound so beautiful. Your voice is perfect. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Do you want me to read the question? Yes, please. Okay. So we got a DM that said, when I started... No, it wasn't a DM. We got... This was a curious cat. Um, curious cat, yeah. We'll link all of our question stuffs to the to our threads because we're yes. getting a lot of personal curious cats that are about the podcast, um, mm-hmm. and we do have a podcast curious cat, so we'll repost it. Um, yes. Anyways, the the question was, when I started listening to your podcast, I realized that I have had experiences when I didn't really consent (parentheses) to touching and kissing (parentheses), but like I was drunk, so I felt so silly when bringing it up and talking about how uncomfortable it now more than at the time makes me. I love that your podcast is making it easier for, easier for me to talk about these things, and even if my friends don't actually understand why that makes me uncomfortable and why I no longer want to get with people, it makes me happy to know there are other people out there that are recognizing the lack of consent and how normalized it is. I know that. This isn't really a question, but I wanted to share anonymously and say that I hate that I still worry about being able to talk to my friends about this because I feel so silly and invalid. So I think it's a sign that you're in a really good headspace if you're able to look back on experiences and reevaluate. That means that you've grown and learned and that you value yourself more now. And that's amazing. Yeah, I think it. Okay, I'm going to be very, very. Can I be honest for a second? This is a place of honesty. Yeah. Okay, so. I was talking, Stevie and I read this question or this um, note this morning. I had a very um, unexpected reaction to it. And I think, um, I think I've talked about this before, but um, 
I have seriously considered becoming a sex educator at multiple points in my life. It's easier to look at a group of people or a group of women or, you know, whoever, and have them be talking about and discussing something that they feel, you know, just like this, about how the lack of consent is so normalized or how they feel silly talking to their friends, stuff like that. It's easier to hear that when it's a general consensus. It's harder for me to hear when an individual young woman or person, but particularly young woman, is impacted by um, something so harmful and something so toxic. Apologize ahead of time if this is very incoherent, I but hmm, it's messing me up that like I know that we're talking to a specific person and mm-hmm. I don't know why... Well, we can make it to the general audience. I'm sure, I mean, that we related to this question a lot, so I'm sure other people do as well. I think it's like the idea that, um, I think, yeah, I mean, I I said it. I think it's just the idea that some one person um, is so, has been so shackled by something that's so harmful, but is only shackled by it because it's what she's surrounded with mm-hmm. is just really really hard that can be a really really difficult place to break yourself out of and I think the older I've gotten and the, the the more um I've just surrounded myself with people who think the same way as me and who are respectful of what I need and how I need to be loved and all of that mm-hmm. and that I'm respectful of that for them I, I've lost touch with how suffocating it can be to be in an environment where you don't have that mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's why it just kind of hit me because I forgot, I forgot, you know, how suffocating it can be to be in the situation. Which is a testament to your growth, which is, I think, incredible. Yeah, you're right. I feel like this mindset is, is fairly near, what's the word? Fairly, not very far in my past feeling this way. Um, and when I was reading Florence's book, she, you know, Florence Given, who we talk about in literally every episode of this podcast. <laughs> um, she says she has a whole chapter on that about stop settling for crumbs when you deserve the whole damn cake. And she says crumbs are audaciously small tokens and gestures that people throw us in order to keep us under the illusion that they deserve a place in our lives. Um which even if they bring very little or no value to your life. Um, And she says that we often allow this kind of behavior because our low self-esteem leads us to believe that this is the kind of love that we deserve. And then over time that becomes normalized to us. So like you've realized longer ago that you don't deserve these crumbs anymore. And now this person is starting to realize that too, along with other people that you know from messages that we've gotten, you helped me realize that. And that's such a big hooray. Like I was literally just spamming you um, with voice notes, remember in the thrift store the other day about how I felt really unsettled with the fact that looking back, every sexual experience I've ever had has been unhealthy in some way, be that blurred lines of consent or lack of communication or just flat out lack of consent. Every experience I've had is, has um, not served me positively in the long run. And that was hard for me to realize because those sexual experiences became so wrapped up in my identity and how I saw myself, which is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think just like reevaluating past experiences with a new mindset, it's a really hard reckoning. But like Stevie said earlier, it is a sign that you're healing. Um, and I think um, one of my favorite phrases is the only way out is through. 
Oh, I love um, that. And I say that very often to myself. And I said that um, uh, quite a lot in high school <laughs> and through college um, because, uh, yeah, and we're not, we won't get into that. But well, high school, you was way more with it than I was. High school was a fucking mess. I, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, I was, you know, on, there were a lot of things that manifested in me that I don't know where they came from. And I think they were emulations of what I was seeing mm-hmm. in certain, um, you know, areas of my life. And I don't know that they were necessarily ingrained in me. I think I was uh, performing quite a lot, which is okay. You know, I mean, you know, fake it till you make oh, it, yeah. I guess. Either way, I mean, just to put this out there plainly, like you are not silly, anonymous listener. You are completely valid and um, you need new friends. <laughs> to put it simply, you speaking your truth, you making choices for yourself, um, both of those things, as long as you are doing both of those things, you are not responsible for the reactions and emotions of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really, really hard because we are egotistical, every single one of us. And so we like to put ourselves at the center of, um, things, even when they are, that's harmful. And so I think this is one of those moments where, um, where, you know, we're taking responsibility for speaking our truth and then also for the reactions to those truths. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not yours to carry. And so, um, the, another part of Florence's book, she talks about, um, I, I don't know if it's the same part, but she basically talks about how, um, we need to stop feeling like we can't express ourselves fully, um, in front of people that apparently care about us, that we have to like shrink ourselves and our desires so that we can be consumed by people and like comfortable, mm-hmm. acceptable pieces. And so she has a quote in there that essentially says something along the lines of like, be your whole self and let them choke (laughs) because it's like you're never going to there's like however you are is going to be the way that you are so whenever you try to mend or um break that down it's not going to be comfortable for you and that's yeah no that no that's um, such a good point and I think that like how you're feeling about after your experiences or realizing how your experiences are feeling like you don't want to get with anyone anymore for the time being is so valid I think, and it's so important that you surround yourself with friends that support you and how you're feeling, whether or not they understand it. Like Emily can tell me that she wants Jillian to rail her. And while I may not also want that, uh, she, I like can support her in that desire (laughs) the same way that she appeases me when I have an aneurysm over David Duchovny's hand veins. (laughs) (laughs) And like that energy translates to so many things aside from sexual preference, like so many parts of your life. And I'd argue that it's important that um, as you grow and continue your self-love journey, that you start to surround yourself with friends that not only support you in your growth and growth and feelings, but start to call you out when you revert back to those unhealthy perspectives and coping mechanisms. And I have a whole story about when you did that for me and what a light bulb you went off in, but I don't know if you have another point before. Oh, no, that go. I mean, I am loving listening to you speak about this because you're saying it so perfectly. So please, please speak. Okay. So early on in our friendship, I told Emily about a time um, my my ex-boyfriend and I had sex and we were out with his family and I got blackout drunk and we had sex anyways that night. And I didn't remember much of it the next morning. And I told this to Emily as a kind of funny anecdote 
um, because I think I like found a picture that he took of me last night, like in his, that night in his shirt. And I was like, LOL, I don't even remember that. And you were like, Stevie, <laughs> that's not okay. You're like, that wasn't okay for him to do that to you. And it was like 50 million light bulbs went off in my fucking head. And I was like, holy shit, that wasn't okay for him to do. And it really bothered me because then I started to look back on all my other quote unquote funny sexual anecdotes. And I'm like, fuck, these aren't funny. They're sad. And well, because it's like, LOL, remember when that guy took off his condom without telling me or when a man with a dick like a pencil jammed into my cervix and I bled? Like, that's not sisterhood to bond over horrible ex- sexual experiences as if it's a rite of passage. It's sisterhood to bond over your anger surrounding the injustice and then let that anger propel you into the healing process together. And that was one of the first things that Emily and I said together when we started talking. We said that anger starts sisterhood. And like, look at us now. And yeah. And I think just too, it's like the friends who celebrate you in every way are just as important. They have to have the duality of the same people that are holding you accountable when um, either I both when you fuck up and also when you are doing things that will harm yourself. Yeah. Um, both of those are acts of love. So I think that that's, and I think too, um, just to go back to like the the question towards the end, it's like if you feel a weird sense of shame or silliness or invalidation when you tell someone good news, in this case, which is what yours was, it was the choice to um, to take a step back and do what was healthy for you and do what made you feel comfortable and do the healing that you needed. Um, if your friends make you feel that way when you tell them you're telling the wrong people. Yeah. Um, tell us. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I think, you know, cause I've been in that situation where, um, with friends, you know, I would tell them things and, um, the reaction was, um, made me feel horrible, even though it was a good thing that I was telling them. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I just stopped telling them everything <laughs> Mm. or I lied. And that also wasn't, you know, I mean, appeasement is never a good thing. So the bottom line is, because I recognize that I'm rambling. No, you're not. Is, okay. Um, is it sad to see people that you care about remain in this state of self-harm as your friends are? Um, like where consent isn't normalized and where they don't love themselves? Like, yes, but you can't heal them. Like that is not your responsibility. That is their journey. The reason why, and I think Stevie might have already touched on this, but my main point that I wanted to touch on is touch, so much touching. The main point I wanted to talk about was (laughs) the thing I wanted to say was that people with low standards are the first to tell you that you're asking for too much from from and for yourself and from um, others. And so when your friends shame you or say that they don't understand your choices, they do that because it, one, gives them the reassurance they need for the stagnancy of their own bad or harmful choices. Mm -hmm. And two, it's um, the closest thing that they can get to reclaiming the lack of control that they have over their own lives. So it's like in shaming you for something and making you feel bad and putting you down, that gives them the control that they're lacking in their own lives. 
so yeah, I mean, with growth comes discomfort and you will outgrow friends and family and people in your life and people will shame you for trying to heal because it reminds them of how lacking they are and how much work they have to do. And um, not everyone is, is willing to face that. So um, I also just want to put a quote in that might be helpful from Chidera from uh, What a Time to Be Alone. And she said, um, analysis, regression, and regret are just as important as acceptance, forgiveness, and forgetting. And then she just said, people hate seeing you raise your standards because it makes them question their own ability to raise theirs. And so, of course, like when you are bettering yourself, if someone who's in your life is not on the same journey, is not in a secure place, of course, they're going to want to bring you back down to that level. Because again, growth is lonely sometimes. A line from Florence's book, ultimately, no one's approval is worth compromising your boundaries and abandoning your own beliefs for. Mm -hmm. So does you pretending that you still want to get with people even if it's non-consensually and even if it's uncomfortable to your friend's face make them comfortable and make them accept you and give them your approval give you their approval yeah but that it's not their approval is not worth you compromising your boundaries or your own beliefs for yeah exactly so like we got another dm today um actually kind of about dealing with friends who maybe aren't on the same growth journey as you and when you're bringing new ideas to them, starting to question them when they invalidate it, like things like that. Um, And also connecting to bonding over how painful, like painful sexual traumas, like how that whole idea. Um, Someone sent us a tweet that was essentially complaining about a movie that didn't show penetration as painful. And and, um, then this person asked about us saying that sex should never hurt when all she's heard is that it hurts the first couple of times. So she asked us, what if it does hurt physically? How are you supposed to address that with people who say it's supposed to or if it happens to yourself? Yeah, I think the the biggest issue I had with with this with this was just the fact that it's that it's um, yeah, sex hurting is not um, an opinion at all. No. Um, it's just a simple fact yeah. of life. Well, no, like, sex is about pleasure. And, well, yeah. And, and it, and it shows how ingrained it is that it, it is this hard to break from that mold, um, where you're truly questioning whether or not you should be putting yourself, yourself in harm's way, um, or not. Yeah. Like it is that ingrained in, in young women that they are seriously thinking that it might actually be okay for them to be um, living through pain for, you know, yeah. no, exactly. a moment or for an extended period of time. Like there's nothing heroic or powerful about hurting yourself unnecessarily. Like, I, Emily, you were talking about this earlier about how penetration is an intrusion and it's something that's coming inside of you. And so if you haven't even had like fingers or a tampon, like, of course, it's going to feel uncomfortable. But the key, like, it's an adjustment that you, you shouldn't just be sitting there in horrible pain, like while somebody pounds into you, that's where it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the key word, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, when it enraged me to no end. <laughs> um, but yeah, the key word here is adjustment. It is an adjustment. Um, 
So I think I'm, I'm really struggling with the question because um, if it does hurt physically, the point being is that um, that is not normal. Like that is not what you should be experiencing mm -hmm. um, in that situation. Is it going to be an adjustment? Yes. But if it's, if it's anything but pleasurable, if it's anything but um, something that you feel is comfortable for you, there needs to be a conversation. There needs to be constant checking in. Yeah. Um, there is no strength in harming yourself despite what the patriarchy literally wants women to believe. Yes. Um, and I think today Florence posted on her story um, a little like screen cap and it said, stop crediting trauma for the strength you found in spite of it. I literally just reposted yeah. that right before we started this. Yeah. And then the caption said that um, that strength was inside you. The hardship might have brought it out, but it existed in you all along. You were the strength. Don't romanticize the hardship. And so um, I think just going back to the original tweet, um, it, like Stevie said, there there is like this narrative that there's a rite of passage when there's pain and penetration for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that might be a mainstream um um like societal belief that is perpetuated in a patriarchy mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that it's fact yeah it doesn't mean that it's right like there are so many things about society that are just accepted fact that are just not, wrong which is like the the necessity of pain for women on so many levels exactly. not even just physically and like and the the fucking patriarchy also makes you think that if something is going against the uh, with a standard kept or whatever then something's wrong with you and yeah. so like anything that happens that maybe is uncomfortable it must be to do with you if it hurts it's because your vagina is too small or too like whatever exactly. and like yeah so if it does hurt, which it very well might, um, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. There are things you can do to work on it. It's just you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have to push through that. Just, yeah. so that's the whole point. It's not that nothing will ever hurt. Like sex is exploration. Like you're trying things that you haven't tried before. And like some things are, you'll like, some things you won't. Some things you're like, I feel like I maybe could get there, but I need to make some adjustments. <laughs> 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 it came out on accident. Um, <laughs> but it's like because sometimes you might just need to take it really slow like lots of foreplay because that is sex like use lots of lube and if penetration doesn't seem to be happening with your partner and but it's something that you want you can use sex toys and start small and work up to something bigger it's all a process like if you're not fitting into a pair of shoes you don't just break your toes and push your foot in like you get a bigger pair of shoes you, you make an adjustment you accommodate you know what i mean yes i I'm just in complete awe of you right now. I'm so happy that you've been able to, I, 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 I try my best to articulate how I feel about certain things. And then sometimes it just doesn't come to me. And so I just like to make a note that um, I'm extra grateful for the women who say what needs to be said when I am unable to. And so I just want to thank you right now for doing that for me. Me? Yeah. What the fuck? I'll cry right the fuck now, bitch. What the fuck is that? I'm serious. That's I. That's that's it. That that's all. Because that's okay. We Emily, no, uh, we're doing this. <laughs> Emily, you, I 
I've never been able to articulate it like that, but you just did it perfectly. And that's exactly how I feel about you every time we do one of these sex corners. Like, I'm just so grateful that you're able to articulate these things that help me understand because I feel like this realm is something that you and I have hashed out a lot and I've thought a lot about yeah. sex because of that's the nature of my trauma so there's been a, I've, I've done a lot of therapy and work and stuff around this subject specifically um and so I'm excited to talk about it and I'm, thank you for giving me the space to more than I maybe normally do but in the other topics that we cover I feel like I'm still learning about them and so just listening to you and all of the knowledge that you've gathered and accumulated and cooked in your magic brain <laughs> it's such a privilege for me to sit here and listen to that no, that's how I feel right now. That's it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then the whole narrative around foreplay and everything, um, again, like that, that's the same exact thing. There's what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of narratives that are just socially accepted so um so deeply within society that um we feel strange questioning them. And like that's normal. But it's like that's how things change. Yeah. Um, and again, even with foreplay, we could be having the exact same discussion about how foreplay isn't really sex. It's just the building up to sex. And then talking about how usually during foreplay, like when someone, when a, when we're talking heteronormatively, yeah. like in a heterosexual relationship, when a man goes down on a woman, like that's to prep her for the actual sex, which is penetration. I'm still working that which out. Which is my so brain. fucked. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, like, this is uh, this is a completely different discussion, but this is just how my brain is <laughs> right now. It. So lean into it. Every single person who calls me articulate and says, "Yeah, this is you are sometimes how my brain works." So you're still being articulate though, which is fun. <laughs> okay, thank you. I, I don't even remember what I was going to say, but the point being is that when you oh yeah i remember what i was gonna say now so when with foreplay like it could literally be anything it's just to get you off so like nothing is too much like nothing is too much of an ask mm. like i remember molly margaret talked about how but yeah so I, I asked her a question when i was entering into um a casual relationship and i asked her a question just like how much is too much to ask mm. um and she said she said literally nothing like mm -hmm. you are there to get off so why wouldn't you ask for everything that you need and everything that you want and so the point being is like she also has talked about like how foreplay for her is like literally dancing it's like making a meal together it's making out like teenagers and then it's like you know that is all part of it for her yeah. and it's it's so it's it's to feel euphoric like that is the whole point of this experience and so um it like blows my mind because like i have always enjoyed the foreplay bits of sex more than what <laughs> i then was considering sex sex but of course sex. yeah um i've always enjoyed the other bits way more and they just never lasted long enough for me like i was dreading for the for the final bit to come as if there's a set fucking itinerary <laughs> like what yeah yeah, yeah. that schedule why not and I think, too, um, that's why non-heterosexual sex is so, I say this very, you know, very generally, but that's why non-heterosexual sex is oftentimes healthier than heterosexual mm -hmm. sex because they're truly each 
encounter that you go into, there is no expectation. Yeah. Um, at least with, with women, yeah. with, with, with women. Remember when I first got to college, my, one of my best friends, um, who's a lesbian said, I was talking to her and I was like, no, I've never had an orgasm during sex. And she was like, what the fuck? Like you've never yeah. had an, or like, I was like, no, like, she's like, well, wh- what? Like just could not like fathom that yeah. I would even be having sex where I wasn't having any kind of pleasure. And of course that is, yeah, like any kind of pleasure is, is the is point. the point like because it, it, it's not an end goal. Not necessary. But, I wasn't having any kind. Um, like there wasn't even things that just like felt like nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so when you take like, and if you look at it like that, like why wouldn't every sexual experience be like that? Huh. Like why is there... And, and I think one of my favorite things is like, if you feel like there's an expectation of something, like call that out yeah, and, and say, and Just say, listen, I'm not really into this right now. I don't want to do this tonight, but I would love to X, Y, Z. Yeah. So this is getting really long. So I'm going to wrap it up. So Florence says that we've all become too attached to our suffering strategies, to the narratives that we keep telling ourselves and to repeating self-sabotaging behavior. And it starts to become part of your identity. Like I was talking about earlier, the self-sabotage and accepting suffering as like it did with mine and growth in, involves breaking up with yourself, which is why it can be so fucking uncomfortable. So like if you're feeling silly and invalid, especially when talking to your friends, it's because you're growing and, and maybe they're not yet. And that's okay. And it's an uncomfortable transition, but like, holy fuck, is it worth it? Yep. I agree. Everything you just said. Should we get into it? Let's get into it. This is Lazarus. Um, I titled this one, uh, Bros Are Gonna Be Dudes. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so we open on Maryland Marine Bank and it opens on Scully, which we love to my see. My favorite. That, those are my favorite episodes. That's how every episode should start. So it's her and another agent, Agent Jack Willis. Okay. First and foremost, <laughs> Emily, you say to me what you said about Jack earlier today. Admit it here and now. <laughs> okay, earlier, I will gladly admit earlier today, right before we started the episode, not right before, what the fuck am I saying? This morning when we were, <laughs> Quite thinking, a bit ago. <laughs> we were thinking about the episode, um, I remembered this episode and um, I said that Jack is, 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 he's really hot. Scully's ex-boyfriend. That's really right. Hot. I'm not the only one. I mean, listen. He listen. is. Well, not when he's really as the guy, because you're right, his acting just kind of overtakes that, which I think is just a testament to the actor's acting. But, um. Totally. Like, he's imagining him as Jack with, like, young Scully. Wrapping her I, like, kind of, I start headcanoning as we go. Oh, Absolutely. Them. To, absolutely yeah totally. i am a sock yeah. card is revoked uh-huh. they're there at the bank waiting for someone to show up um to i don't to rob it to <laughs> commit yes, violence to, to, rob do it. Cri- to do crime to do crime someone's doing um, crime they heard about off, it off of a tip that they got so um a man comes in armed um scully and will everyone like gets down scully and willis corner him and you know get their guns out um, he shoots Willis and Scully shoots him, the robber. Can we, can I just go back to a moment in that scene? Yes, please. Um, 
I love seeing Scully work without Mulder, one. Yeah. And two, with a man that she's had sex with. Okay. Like, the way that she, no, come on. Like, the way that she looks at him is feral. And he looks her up and down like they eye fucked hard in that bank yeah. that morning. Can we make, can we yeah. make a gif of it? It's that one that I showed you. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, it's for just sure. like her ferality. We've just kind of decided that's a word now. Yeah. Well, this was also the first episode where Jillian was actually pregnant, so I'm sure that was... Shut the fuck up. No, she, no, it wasn't. No. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I almost just called you Scully. Stevie um, has folded over in her chair. I have to rewatch it now. <laughs> so then, yeah, the guy comes in. Boom, boom. People get shoot. Get shoot. <laughs> people, boom, boom. People get shoot. <laughs> i mean it's true a lot of people get shot in this episode so uh the the robber shoots willis scully shoots the robber okay cut to the hospital they're trying to resuscitate willis and scully is very concerned um Mm -hmm. the doctors want to let him go because he's been out for like 12 minutes and scully insists that they keep going um as they're doing the resuscitation, um, the shooter who is dead off in the corner is like pulsating um, with the shock waves of the resuscitation that they're doing on, on Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but no one notices, of course. And so I just want to say Scully directing people is so hot. Um, I am on my knees 100%. I wrote- mm. I didn't write exactly that, but I also yeah, wrote that. I would hope not. <laughs> I also wrote that her telling doctors what to do. Yes, I'm so yeah. here for that. And yeah. I normally hate the supernatural concepts on the show, but like this is a semi cool one that I kind of get behind. Jillian captures this professional concern and commitment so well, like this really steely resolve, but also very concerned. Yeah, she um, does very well. Yeah. So Willis survives and he is put in a hospital and he sneaks out of the hospital. But before he does that, he looks in a mirror and he doesn't recognize himself. He like is touching his face and stuff. So he goes to the morgue and he finds the shooter and he takes off his wedding ring, the shooter's wedding ring, or he tries to, but he has to cut it off his finger, which like I did not enjoy um and when they did the sound effect it literally sounded like he was cutting a blade of grass which was so concerning we cut again and Mulder and scully are at the morgue um willis is missing his fingerprints have been found on the dead dude who we learn is called um dupre that's his last name Mm -hmm. so that's what we're going to be calling him um and that willis was chasing him and um his partner lula for a year so scully basically thinks that willis disappeared because of post-trauma psychosis mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah she tells Mulder that dupre and his wife took turns pulling the job and the other as the getaway every episode scully gets more and more confident and that just makes me so happy and like she's so beautiful here like how did chris carter think this fucking beauty had no sex appeal make it make sense because he's an idiot yeah he's probably threatened by her so he was like oh totally um 
I really struggled with Mulder in this episode. Oh, me too. Um, Fully. He's so fucking obnoxious already. He's so um, stuck up. Like, for some reason, maybe it's because we're coming off at, like, um, like, recent <sighs> of an episode where he wasn't the focus, but, like, he is, like, so cocky when he's spouting these things. Like, his ego is, like, he's totally. so, like, oh, I am so... Oh, I'm game. so happy that you brought that, that. I'm so happy that you said that because... Um, I really genuinely think that it's a mixture of um, lazy writing and David's acting. (laughs) I think that's a really good... I don't think it's Mulder the character. Mm -hmm. I genuinely just think it's lazy writing and David's acting, if you can call it that. I think so too. Instead of having them like both question each other back and forth and solve the case together... Like, Mulder is asking all the right questions. He brings up all the right points and, like, more or less considers but has complete blinders on everything that Scully thinks. Yeah, literally. It's like there's no considering. There's no work to get to the answers. He just has them and it's just all-knowing. Like, there's no – it's just like they're treating the case as if it's not really a case. They're just like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't, like, a mystery one. Yeah, and it gives off the sense that, like, he's just letting her talk because he has to, but he really already knows what he's going to say. Literally. And talking to someone in that Ooh. headspace is the most annoying thing That's ever. an acting thing. That's yeah. a bad acting thing. And, of course, like, Mulder does say, what are you thinking to Scully? But then goes on to say, like, yeah, that was cute, but, like, it can't Literally. be what you said, Scully, because why would he just vanish? And then he says, um, Mulder says, she, he makes a note being like, oh, like, that's a lot of money that you have for yourself now, which of course ends up being what happens. She just wanted the money for herself. Yeah, like he knew that from the beginning. Exactly. And then saying like they were married, like as if that makes that makes sense why willis wanted the wedding ring like literally every just, like, single thing he knows he, says, he he literally has experienced the case already he like yes exactly exactly like he walks in and he's like here i am here to do the bare minimum but be right every single time literally. um and then like he's like Scully's jimmy like, neutron but in a bad way Totally. And Scully says, am I boring you? Which is, like, very fair. I know. Like, they're... I didn't register how I mean, sad uh, that was that she said that. Well, yeah, because it's, like, she... I mean, I'm surprised she doesn't say that every fucking episode. I know. That's how he acts. Um, and so... And and I, I understand that Bad Blood later on is a comedy. But it's, like, the way that Mulder views himself as genuinely hearing out every single thing that she says makes fucking sense why he acts like this because he genuinely thinks that he's listening to her yeah and he's not their dynamic is really off in this episode concerning given the last episode um and scully's assault because Mulder is giving off these like i see you differently now that i see you in a sexual way vibes oh. <gasps> um and oh that's God. always gr- that's always gross but that's particularly gross here because, of course, his reckoning with that was not on, was not the result of a sexual experience that was on her own terms. Yeah. It was because of an assault. Yeah. And, like, as I was making a note of that, I truly cannot even fathom that, like, I was writing Scully's assault. Like, I, I genuinely cannot. 
believe that we had to witness Scully get assaulted on a fucking sci-fi show. The first but, like, time. The first time. But like, we'll move on for now. Willis goes back to Dupree's house um, to look for Dupree's wife. Dupree? Mm. Dupree. Dupree's oh, wife. Yeah. Dupree. Dupree's wife, Lula, and she's gone, and the hidden stash of something that he's looking for is gone. And as he's looking for it, we see Dupree's tattoo on his forearm starting to appear on Willis's. Can I just say... Was that necessary? Like, were their tattoos soul connected? Like, I would have got no. the, I would have got the idea without that. Yeah, I, it, I think it was just like to nail that idea home. To really make sure that we got what was yeah. happening. Look, the tattoo also transferred. I'm like, so that we knew Mulder was right from the beginning. Oh. So that it wasn't a mystery. It's like, how boring would that be? If you didn't know whether the man or the woman was right, like, how boring would that be? So boring. So. Uh, that's so funny my next note is Mulder just knows everything huh <laughs> so back in the basement Mulder is showing Scully or they're talking about the EKG scans from Willis um yeah. and Mulder says that the EKG scan from Willis shows two heartbeats but he really wants to hear her say it yeah um, literally I'm like Jesus fucking Christ even though he knows what he so like, okay but like, what does it look like i just want you to say one thing he's like just one thing really quick Can you just... like what does it look like and then of course that translates in okay never mind but she actually likes it when it's in that situation so it's okay yeah you're right the situation we're talking about is like when they're actually <laughs> fucking <laughs> just in case people didn't get our wavelength um, out there Sometimes it's hard to keep up with. Mulder makes Scully say what she wants him to do to her. Okay. Anyway, even though he already knows. We literally just communicated that in some grunts and we were like, yeah, they'll get it. Yeah, they'll get it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. So Mulder says the EKG scan from Willis shows two heartbeats because the two men were dead at the same time. (laughs) One man's body was resuscitated, but which man's soul was resuscitated is what he's essentially saying. (gasps) So they go so they go to the was a very good one. So they go to the University of Maryland and they're in the Department of Biology. And they're talking to a man about near-death experiences. Basically, he tells this whole fucking annoying-ass story. Essentially, what he says is that dead memory or consciousness can survive through um, someone who had been nearly dead but had been resuscitated, like, with other people. Yeah. So someone else's memory can be resuscitated into another human being. So um, Can I just say that, like, when he's giving examples of that to say, like, why that's truth like why did the wife have to be murdered by her husband like why was that necessary the pilot couldn't have had fucking memories of working in a library they didn't remember or like suddenly he's really good at chess like you know, why did they have to, to be, murder his wife yeah. with a specific weapon like it was such a yeah. vivid detail of the murder too he's like yeah. oh she was strangled to death with a something by her like oh my god i think it was to prove like how much of a crackhead this doctor is and like the the just to truly capture scully's feelings of like i can't believe Mulder is making me sit here and listen to this man i know but like what's annoying oh, but is still that he ends up absolutely being, but then he ends up being right like the, the doctor totally. is credited so it's yeah. like <laughs> they leave and they're talking and scully says she believes it's psychological not supernatural she believes that there are characteristics about jack willis 
that I go back and forth, just warning about Jack that would make him predisposed to disappearing, whatever. So she says, um, the examples of this are the stress of the case, the trauma from being shot, his shot, shot, his personality. Um, Mulder thinks that his body's obviously been inhabited by Dupre, which, um, of course, uh, it's because it is Mm -hmm. because he always has to be right or else he would be too unlikable as a character to drive a show. So his heroicness has to humanize him and it enables people to like him and praise him and sympathize him even in his worst moments. Ooh! Go the fuck off! So Scully says that her and Jack dated for a year. He was her instructor at the academy. And I have very mixed feelings about this, but go ahead. Okay her face when she says that they dated she's like i know don't fucking talk about it. like i like don't it's like maybe i ship young scully and jack maybe i do i don't know a little bit a little bit it's okay um yeah i love that she drops the little hint that like she has a, a habit of fucking older men in her field <laughs> to an older man in her field <laughs> did you just why realize did that, why did that hit so much why did oh that hit God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just because I didn't think that. I thought that. There are so many parallels think, in this moment. I just think I've been thinking of her, like, not consciously hitting on him. I mean, whether or not she was. I, I don't know that she was, but there was a little I bit. Just, like, I mean, the fact she's that, smirking. The fact that she. Oh, do you want to hear a really fucked up thing my brain has been doing? Sure. Instead of thinking that she was actively wanting him, I had just solely been thinking about him wanting her. But good thing to call out. That's wow, so smart. That's wow, so that's up. so smart. But that's what my brain has been doing. Yeah, but it's okay because you called it out. That's amazing. Now I just realized. Wow. I need to reevaluate some things. <laughs> okay, we're having a little bit of a reckoning here, but that's okay. This is life. That's amazing. A bit of a reckoning. Pause for reckoning. <laughs> No, we will. And that I really want to talk about that too, like desire and desirability and all of that. So we will address that. Maybe especially for you, Stevie, in the next episode. Yeah, maybe. I think I need it. Um, And it's so funny also because I know this scene and Scully's demeanor was supposed to be um, like this, quote unquote, I have a past too. Like I'm a bad girl deep down. I have daddy issues. (laughs) Like all these fetishized notions. Yeah men like to imagine about a woman in a suit but it's like maybe those things are true about scully but jillian played it as like a chip on her shoulder because we just saw how disastrously a case involving Mulder's ex went and how stubborn he was and how horrible he was to her throughout it and now she's saying yes Mulder, you too can be an adult about this yeah and like, like i didn't wasn't gonna get to this as early but thank you for bringing that up because it's like in Mulder's character in Mulder's episode where his ex is brought back, he's challenged with something that he can overcome and become better in the end for. When Scully's ex is brought in, she's traumatized with no opportunity for her to overcome anything. Oh my god, you're a genius. Like, oh my god. In his when he's met with and this this translates to a lot of realms. Like when just he's met with adversity, he's given the chance to overcome it and become better. She's always just left with the trauma. There's never any betterment. Oh my god. 
I feel really good when I blow your mind because I feel like your mind's hard to blow. Wow. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm just going to say my next line so that you can really truly see our duality because my next line is when Scully goes off about how they would have how they would celebrate their shared birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to be bent over that railing by her. <laughs> Why is it that when we see Molar's allowed to overcome something and Scully is just trying I want her to nail me against the railing. <laughs> Welcome to the Sex Piles. <laughs> That's it. I did write to be fair, I did also write, um, oh my god, where did I write it? Hold on, I was like, do you think they did it on the slanting pool table? <laughs> and then I wrote, um, when she was talking about how he would never relax, I was like, yeah, I'm picturing him trying to have sex and I'm just being so focused on work. And, he, and she's like, <laughs> she's like, bro, can we just fuck without you talking about a case? And I really got into a headcanon about it. She's like on top of him and on she's the like pool table and he's like Yeah. And he's like, I'm in their head. <laughs> he's like, no, Dana, I'm so close. She's like, You're close. He's like, I just had just a little bit more and I can just I know I can catch him. She's like, All right. She hops right off. That's it. She hops her little ass off that little pool table. <laughs> yeah, I kind of ruined that. I'm sorry. But like that was a really good point. Um um anyway so no, and then we she, had candid about jack we had a whole thing yeah so scully describes jack as um quote so intense relentlessly determined saying quote it was impossible for him to relax as we noted and it was i'm convinced in this exact moment that she realized oh fuck me that's molder she was like oh that makes sense because in never again when scully's explaining the walls she puts up whenever a father figure comes into her life after the part of her that craves it passes Mm -hmm. this sounds very familiar to that and of course like that resentment that she ultimately has for that person also becomes a part of her relationship with Mulder. so Mm. it's nice to see they got one thing consistent yeah because, of course, like, her resentment for Mulder is the entire episode of Never Again. Anyway, yeah. will we bring up Never Again for the rest of for every, every episode, episode? Yeah, let's until Never Again? Yeah, drink every time we take up Never Again. Can somebody make drinking <laughs> games for our podcast? Because I want to know how drunk you'd get. I also know what you'd... Uh, that would be so funny. Somebody do it. Come on. Um, so, cut to Jack breaking into Lula's brother's apartment. Um, this scene is kind of obsolete, but his wound is starting to bleed again. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where Lula is, so he kills her brother because he thinks that her brother sold <laughs> them out to, to the FBI. Yeah. So Mulder and Scully go to the crime scene, and like Mulder's like, was the, they're like trying to figure it out. They're like, you know, mm-hmm. and Mulder's like, was the TV on when you got <laughs> here? Like, and then he's like. Well, from the position of the body, he probably was watching TV. Like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. What do you mean? Like, if only every investigator was as good as Mulder, maybe cases that mattered, like rape cases, and cases where there's been violence against trans women would actually be solved. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. 
That's like investigators like this do not exist. And the fact that they are that they are ascribing Implying this investigator to fucking the X-Files, like wow. the position of the body, he was probably shut up. Shut the shut fuck up. up. His bed is facing the TV. What do you mean? Literally, and he would also come off so much less egotistical if he acted like he had any kind of thought process before spouting the facts that solved the cases. Like, isn't any, that the fucking ticket? It, like, it just, like, at least looking like you're, like, hmm, before it comes out of your mouth. Like, just... Okay, anyway, so Jack shows up to the crime scene, and they're all like, what the fuck, dude, where have you been? Um, like, bro. Sc- yeah, Scully takes him out into the hallway and is basically like, where the fuck have you been? And... He's uh, so mean to her. He yells at her. And... uh. This scene was troubling because she doesn't seem shocked. That's literally what I wrote. I wrote she's not phased by Jack being like, let me in because she fucking works with Fox. I'm scared of fire, so I'm going to try to beat it up Molder. And she's surrounded by that kind of toxic masculinity. And that worries me about their relationship. That was the note that I made. Like, to imagine that Willis has suffered with anger issues in the past – um, imagining like a very baby Scully trying to manage, yeah, like her steely resolve that she has whilst hiding this like really real, very really real, this very <laughs> real fear, is unpleasant. Yeah. And even in the beginning, when she tells Jack not to lose his head, like very knowingly. Yeah. <gasps> That's I hate it. Concerning. I hate it. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. And I made... even again at the end when he when he's like when she asked if if because he returned the evidence bag and he's like, well, what are you implying? And she totally retreats and just goes with him. Totally. Um. Yeah. So not great. But this fact becomes even more concerning. Um. Again, based on the last episode, because. We saw Scully violated, and so pairing this episode next, like, giving her a sexual history that she was consensually a part of, and then tacking on this little, like, fun tidbit that it may have been toxic, and, like, not allowing her to heal from either of these situations while making Mm -hmm. the entire show about Mulder's healing to the point Mm -hmm. where... Not only are we seeing him search for closure and finding his sister, that that is the crux of the plot, but where Scully even becomes his healer from his past relationships. So every single part of the show is literally about him healing. Holy shit. And she, as she just gets more and more traumatized. Exactly. Holy shit. And so this whole episode kind of like embodied this like woman as healer of man. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yuck so scully basically just is like okay you can go back to work but i want you to um commit to a full psych and physical evaluation if you won't go back to the hospital so he agrees obviously and then he's jack is at the shooting range getting his weapon recertification and Mulder asks him sh- he shows up and Mulder asks him to sign a birthday card for scully he signs with his left hand, despite Mulder noting earlier that Jack was right-handed, and also he would have known that it wasn't Scully's birthday. Um, so he goes to give the card to Scully, and he says, this is one of the reasons I know this is a case of psychic transference. So this scene is kind of shitty, 
but Scully's tan suit is immaculate Mm -hmm. and I want to marry her Mm -hmm. uh Dana Scully be my wife and when you come home I'll be wearing one of your blazers with nothing underneath it challenge that would be so powerful wait so we have one thing yes so like one Scully seems so sad when Mulder gave her the birthday card she was like you're two months early like I know like not seen and small and it just made me really sad um, and then her working at that teeny tiny side table <laughs> on a stool while that giant desk and swivel chair are there it just doesn't sit well with me. Not at all. And Not it's at just, all. Like, the desk issues just are another example of the unconscious sexism of this show that like no one even thought to give her a desk and that's why it hit so hard. It's not even that it was a conscious decision that she didn't deserve one. Exactly. And it's like, it just, it just really what it's a, what it's a commentary on is just whether or not she's allowed to take up space. Yeah. So anyway, um, so Mulder says that the handprint that they found on the television at the crime scene is missing from evidence. Um, and Scully says, well, uh, Jack passed both his physical and psychological evaluations. How? Then Mulder says, I have no fucking idea. Then Mulder says the signature was off. Scully then says it's still stress. And like, she's clearly so annoyed that something so personal to her is being considered as an X-file. Like, yeah, it clearly unsettles her. And like, alien- They shouldn't be the ones working on that if it's an active case. It's just Mulder picking something out and being nosy. And like, alien boy is getting annoyed- but for once, he doesn't say anything, thank God, because even though he should have said something, it wouldn't have been the right thing. And this is just like another example of their dynamic being completely off. Yep. And I think it's because Mulder is, well, first of all, I, what, like we said, it's the lazy writing and it's David's acting. But like Mulder is also, I think, feeling a little overshadowed by Willis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, big time. Because, like, when later on, when um, uh, when Scully is being held hostage by Willis and Lula, um, or when Mulder calls, whatever, when Mulder's yeah, on the yeah, phone, yeah. he calls Scully Dana to, like, yeah. try to appeal to that intimacy, that, like, intimate oh, that they oh, have. Oh, interesting, because he's feeling that, like, that's threatened. Yeah. How interesting. I think. I mean, I don't Yeah, no, know. no, no, I agree. Because, like, when else does he call her Dana? And it's also, like, very desperate, too. Like, he, like, is trying to, like... And And it's, like, he's... Yeah, he's been concerned for her before. But, like, this doesn't... It doesn't feel like he's concerned for her life more so he's, like... Because then, it's not that he... Because it's, like... Okay, this is way jumping ahead. I'm sorry. But it's, like, I truly think he just wants, like, the idea of her there reassuring him and, like, her attention that he gives him. Because yeah. at the end, when she is finally there, she's on the verge of tears being, like, well, what do I how, – how do I tell myself about what this happened? He literally just, like, night. Night. <laughs> leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like – um yeah i have some notes about the ending but um so then the second reason i think that he's feeling that way is because when scully when he comes to save scully um he checks on her and then scully immediately checks on on willis before she even answers Mulder. Um, yeah So Jack gets a call from a landlord, and I think it was called Boyle Heights. I didn't go back. 
<laughs> um, yeah, saying that he's got Lula at his apartment building. Sorry, the name Lula makes me laugh. Lula. And he give, Jack gives Scully the address and she questions him about the missing evidence because he carried it back from the scene. And like Stevie said, he gets hostile. Uh, just a bit. So they go to the apartment. So Jack and Scully go to the apartment building where Lula is. Jack told Scully that he called for backup. He didn't. So they're still not there. They find her and there's a chase. Scully gets her and uh yeah are you talking about the dog on a leash line uh oh no 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 no. you're talking about the erotic rolling and breathing go ahead (laughs) so i'm right though huh i feel so exposed right now i feel naked (laughs) so jillian like basically tackles her and she makes this sound that is just very erotic and I like rewinded it multiple times. <laughs> so um more sinisterly though, um Jillian was pregnant here, so it was literally probably her just making the most dramatic sigh of exhaustion from having to do a literal, like very physical scene. And a lot of which what? makes me feel a little bad, but it was still hot. So her pregnant this episode makes the fact that she was so so I have the hiccups. I'm struggling. It's okay. It's okay. Um, it makes the fact that she was so easy, like just weepy this episode. Like her eyes were just so wet, and like she was so emotional, Very like glassy. Yeah. yeah, she was just like more emotional than normal. Jack obviously turns, and duh, because of course Mulder's right, and he basically is like Scully, put these cuffs on, and they do, and she does. Would you like to talk about that that line? The like the, the like a dog on a leash line made me very uncomfortable. That was my whole note. Yeah, I don't really know. That kind of came out of nowhere. I don't. It was like really... it was like once he got his girl girlfriend in handcuffs. He was like, yeah, like a dog on a leash. And I was like, ew. <laughs> yeah, that was not pleasant at all. Scully cuffs herself, and then she gets beat up somehow because she has blood dripping from the side of her mouth. That was just an addition. Of course, yeah. Um, and she gets cuffed to the radiator in this building. Um, so Scully, uh, Jack is trying to convince Lola, Lola, Lula that he's to pray. Um, and then he says, don't worry, baby. It won't make any difference in the dark. Oh, I didn't, mm, I didn't register that. I knew that line was coming because that that was what I remembered from this entire scene. I I truly just like heard that and just. Um, Oh my God. uh, Yes, it will. Yes, 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 it will. That's so unsettling. Uh, You you still won't be her husband. Uh, Like, and it's just funny because this is like literally small potatoes light. Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) That's the whole plot of small potatoes, more or less. Um, anyway, so naturally, we cut back to Mulder, and they've let 12 hours pass where they have no idea where Scully is. Yeah, they didn't, weren't even, Willis. they're like, eh, she's probably fine. Like, yeah, and then, and then Willis calls Mulder and lets Scully talk so that he knows that she's there. And that's when he says Dana. And that's when he says Dana. Scully keeps calling Dupre 
Jack and trying to recall memories of their time together to bring him back. That fucks me up. She's getting tortured. She's literally weeping because she thinks she's going to die for, oh, I don't know, the 50th time. Literally. So it hits her when she, re- when she remembers that Willis is diabetic and he had to pray willis had been drinking soda and so he had too much sugar so she tells him that he's going to go into a diabetic coma without insulin cut to molder he's like very calmly and again i think this is david's acting yeah um but he's like just completely stone-faced listening to willis's record of lula and dupre yeah and then he presents this, his theory for where Scully is based on a report that insulin and needles went missing from a local store in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, cut back to Scully. Lula tells Scully not to treat Willis because she's actually the one who set Dupre up so that she could take all the money for herself. Um, Lula then calls Mulder and Mulder tells her that if she lays one hand on <laughs> Scully... He's going to do something bad to her. I, I hate to admit it, but I really like protective molder like that. Well, it's just funny because like, um, he's so, he would never do that in front of her at this point. No. Mm-mm. But it's like behind her back. He's like, if you touch my wife, I'm going to be literally mad at you. <laughs> literally. So they trace the number, but of course it's Scully's. Yeah. So they can't trace it. Um, the way they put together this location, like, next is so unrealistic, seeming. Oh, yeah. And Lula, Lula's like, I want a million dollars. It's just like, oh, okay, bitch. Like, she's like, so, give me all the money. Yeah. So then what CB was saying, some dude plays um, Lula's phone call, and they hear a small plane engine sound. And pinpoint where in her recording. And so... They pinpoint based off of that where the actual trajectory of the plane, how much and sound they get like whatever. Yeah, they get a radius for where the house could be. So Mulder's like, he goes and he presents his plan to all of his bros, and Mulder's like, this one's important to me, so let's do it right. And holy shit, I'm ready to simp. <laughs> Here's the thing again, like David, I think does a good job here but that's why i was so conflicted over molder because he's all over the place because like, sometimes he has really touching moments where you're like oh my totally. god like he so cares about her and then sometimes it's like david not paying attention in a scene Sorry, who are you yeah literally yeah. literally and, that, and like, that's on david it's like it's that david has the potential to be a good to be a good consistent actor <laughs> but like he's just so inconsistent like it's like he's not always yeah. into it and it really affects it totally because here he's like so so broken yeah and it's so sad right before Mulder says that um the one agent is like ha 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 what is it about aliens like as if fucking a woman's life is not in peril literally he's like as if it's not about his partner's life it's like but then I said but hey bros are gonna be dudes you know what Literally. I mean? Literally. But then also, like, when that guy said that, what did he say? He said, it doesn't matter what I think. We're all, we're still all after the same thing. And I'm like, where the fuck was that energy beyond the sea when Scully was believing something you didn't? Fucking punk. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Literally. Yep. 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 
So back to the house, Scully is trying to keep Jack alive by telling him a story when they went to a cabin and Scully thinks that, so, so Jack is like going in and out then all of a sudden and he's going between Dupre and, and him. And then Scully thinks she sees Dupre briefly when Jack is drifting in and out. And again, this is because Scully is a psychic, but beyond being a psychic, um, I love that the writers gave Scully these little intimacies because yeah, me too. It not only gives her more than like the one dimensionality that she's given as the series goes on, but like it gives her the opportunity to go beyond the trope that she's been placed in. Yeah. And like, unfortunately a relationship is only one part of her life. It's a very small part. And as this one did, it passed. But I think the writers set this up as like a block in her character without recognizing that that building needed to continue and they needed to continue to give her emotional depth, continue to give her the range she embodies as a woman, continues to enable, like it can continue to enable her to grow. So it was like in the beginning, they started off giving her these little tidbits. Yeah. And then they just stopped because they, they viewed this as like a part of her character building. Yeah. When like is that Mulder's background life and character building is the plot of the show. Exactly. Whereas hers is is hardly thought to be explored. Yeah. So um, they get the target. Basically, they find Lula from an undercover agent, but um, she comes back in the room and Willis pretends that he's dead. He grabs her gun. Meanwhile, Mulder and the FBI are trying to get a sniper shot inside. Willis shoots Lula, and then he dies, and his tattoo disappears. All the FBI people come in, and Mulder's like, are you okay? And then, like, whatever. So cut Does she to- look okay? She's beat up and tied to Exactly. Exactly. So Scully is Hello, cleaning- okay? Shut the fuck up. I know. So back at the FBI, Scully is cleaning out Willis's desk- and Mulder brings Scully his watch that she gave him, um, that she gave Willis for his birthday. And so they basically settle that the case um, goes like this, that they found Lula that led to a shootout between her and federal agents, which resulted in the death of Willis killed in the line of duty. And Scully is unsure how to process it. And Mulder says, hmm, I don't know. Good luck with that, though. Good night. Literally. Literally. He's on the in verge the most, of tears. Like, in the most unbothered way ever. He's just like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, yeah, I don't know about that. Good night, though. <laughs> and she's over there like, what am I supposed to tell myself? Like, on the verge of like, so a, then, so upset. Yeah. So then the watch, she recognizes that the watch isn't working. And then it stopped at the exact time that Willis went into cardiac arrest at the hospital. She says, what does this mean? And Mulder says, it means whatever you want it to mean. And I have like three large paragraphs written about this line because I just don't. Let's go. Let's fucking go. I'm ready for it. Okay. It's interesting because at first I was like, that's a cop out. That's like something that men do where it's like they try to be philosophical, 
but really it means nothing yeah like like he was about to leave like he was about to leave after her being like i need help and he was about to leave saying nothing yeah he's like i'll give it a half-assed attempt yeah and so the way i interpret it interpret interpreted it as i sat with it more was he saw how upset and defensive and dejected the possibility of scully's personal life becoming on an x-files made her Mm -hmm. on an x-files on an x-file made her so in a sense this is his way of like removing himself because of course he thinks that this means something right of course he knows that it means something yeah he's not intentionally saying i'm gonna say nothing he thinks that that's something but in a perfect world i think this is his way of like giving her her space and enabling her to make this ending whatever she needs it to be Mm, interesting yeah having said that when she is involved in an x-file again in in never again he's Mm -hmm. an asshole about it so i'm probably wrong with that one i mean it varies it's inconsistent i know so again i i really struggled with him in this episode because on the one hand i think this is just kind of generally i think he's seeing another side of scully and that's making him panic about the fact that he is absolutely more into her than she is into him at this point Mm. Mm. and and he's forced to reckon with firsthand the fact that she is capable of a life outside of the x-files even if that's not true though you know she's human like she has her own issues outside of work but that scares him because he knows that he is incapable of that yeah and so like the job is his life he doesn't have anything Um, outside of that space exactly and so there's a little bit of wishing she was the same way because he wants to like he he loves her yeah and he wants to continue his work but he also wants her he want there's there's a little bit of him wanting to bring her down to his level of devotion yeah. to the work mm-hmm. so that he doesn't have to exist there alone so that he can exist in a world with her oh but that's unhealthy um so ultimately i don't really know where that was going but like no that's a really good point there's just a lot happening there yeah yeah that's very revealing about him that's really interesting way to look at it i like that and so like but on the other hand like scully's relationship ended and so it's pretty shitty of him to think of scully as a one-dimensional woman to be comforted by that like exactly oh, outside he, that's of out of there no more life for her now we're all set now we're on the same exactly level. like who doesn't have interests and passions outside of work just because you know very little about her yeah and like her past relationships her current relationship with herself with her sexuality none of that should have to slap him across the face for him to realize that she is plentiful yeah. and she is varied and she is abundant like and then he acts dejected and defeated when he realizes that there is more to her life than him. Mm. Like, yes, there's the jealousy that he feels as someone who is more than professionally attached to her. But when it, when, when, but like, when does his, his wanting to stifle her growth for the sake of his comfort become uncomfortable? You know what I mean? Yeah. So like her devotion to him in the X-Files isn't commendable. It's like it's like what we were talking about earlier. 
And that shouldn't be where his love for her is rooted. No. It was her choice to stay on the X-Files. If that choice had been, this is becoming much larger, but like this is where my head was going. If that choice had been for her to become a doctor and ditch the X-Files altogether, he should have still loved her. Yeah. But I know that it would have. His behavior suggests that down the line that wouldn't have been the case, which is what we ultimately see. And I want to believe where he feels where he feels unable to love her because she doesn't want to continue the journey with him. Which is so depressing. Which is so fucked. That's yeah. so fucked. Wow. And for some reason, this episode really just pulled that out of me. That's such a good point. I never thought about it like that. That's the episode. That's the episode. What a journey. What a what a journey. Because this was such a thematic episode because like our beginning talk was about um looking at it past relationships and experiences. That's what this episode was about. Should we do Jillian's Corner? Let's do Jillian's Corner. Do okay. you want to sing? Yeah, do you want to sing? <laughs> okay, ready? Okay, yeah. Jillian's Corner. I think that was pretty good. I think that was pretty I good. I couldn't too. really hear you, so that usually means we're in sync. Okay. All right. What do you want to talk about, Missy? I would like to talk about something that. Okay, it's it's good because my voice sounds the same because I've been drinking. Okay. Um, I would like to talk about something that has been quietly circulating on the interweb. You know those things that just quietly circulate, <laughs> like noisy ghosts. No. <laughs> Just um, noisy little ghosts flying um, around Twitter. <laughs> yep. So um there was an article that was published. I I I am not quite sure why this resurfaced, but basically there was an article that came out about Jillian playing Thatcher. Um and it referred to her in the article title as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Now Jillian herself okay. I have a big issue with the way that Jillian's sexuality is policed mm-hmm. and talked about. And I just wanted to talk about that for a quick second. Do it. The space is yours, okay. madam. Thank you. I appreciate you. So um I am a queer woman. Woo! Um <laughs> uh, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> wow. This is news in to me. In case that's news. <laughs> So, I mean, this should infuriate, and not infuriate, but I guess that's partially why it infuriates me so much. But Jillian herself has, just so that we're all on the same page, has never labeled herself. Um, She labeled being a specific sexuality, a specific sexual preference, like bisexual, pansexual, Mm -hmm. whatever. She did an interview. I don't remember when. I think I do. When she said that I could be dating a woman tomorrow, is that the one you're talking about? Next year, yes. Next year. Jillian did an interview basically where she said that she always liked to enter relationships knowing that she had a way out, hmm. um, which, you know, I, I understand. Um, <laughs> then she went on to say that, you know, she, despite the fact that she was dating, that she was started, had just started. I'm having trouble with this. Okay, okay. <laughs> that she had just started dating Peter Morgan, <clears throat> her current partner, that she could be with a woman next year. Basically, 
talk, she talked about the woman that she had dated right out of college and that she falls in love with the person that their gender identity is not important to her. She falls in love with the character of, of a human being. Then I'm not sure if it was the same interview or if it was a different one, but she basically said uh, later on that she, despite being actively heterosexual, that might've been the beginning of that quote, mm-hmm. despite being actively heterosexual, she, um, you know, falls in love with the person. She doesn't fall in love with their gender. I think that was the, the gist of the right. quote. I've talked about this a lot um, among friends and we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. The way that I see it, and I think the way that it should be seen, is a queer woman, not saying Jillian is queer, but I'm saying she is not straight. Yeah. A queer woman in a relationship with a man is not in a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. Um, that is still a queer relationship because the woman is queer, and that is her identity. That's probably a huge part of who she is. And so to erase that simply because she is in a straight passing relationship um, is really invalidating. Um, Again, not saying that that's Jillian, but that's just in general. That's just in general, just to set some, so that, so that my argument, you know. Establish the jargon. I get it. Yes. Establish the jargon. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Read books. I'm so proud of you. So, yes. So that's how I feel. Secondly, you there is no requirement for being queer. There's no requirement or minimum requirement for being queer, for identifying in mm-hmm. any way. Um, you could identify as bisexual as a woman or a man. We'll say, we'll say you could identify as a bisexual man and you could have never flirted, kissed, dated whatever had a conversation that was more than a conversation between two platonic friends with a man and still be considered bisexual Mm -hmm. by yourself because the label is your identity it's what makes you most comfortable exactly um and so when i see the argument regarding jillian saying oh well she only dated a woman right after college that's irrelevant she could have never dated a woman ever and still affirm that she falls in love with a person and not their gender, therefore making her not straight. Right. The possibility, there's no, there's no label. She's, she did not lay labels are for labels you. Labels need to be done so by unless, the person who's going to be existing within that label. Exactly. So since she has not explicitly labeled herself, it's problematic that people continually do so in every realm. Exactly. In every realm. Exactly. And so Thank you, Stevie. That was exactly what I was trying to say. That's the first issue, um, which of course translates to the larger issue of just invalidating queer mm-hmm. people who um, say a queer woman who has never dated women in the past, like saying that she is less than, she is less queer or she is not yeah. queer at all. It's horrible that, that's, no, that's not for you. To, exactly. To like it, it's equally as damaging to say is it? I'm going to ask you the question. Is it equally as damaging to to say that she's um she is heterosexual as it is to say she is bisexual? Like to just like just don't label her in general. Just don't label people. I think I think themselves. I think yes. Don't label people. I think okay. Here's here's where the the 
So the key word that Jillian uses. I might cut that out. I'm just truly just acting. No, no, no. I think that'll be good. That'll be good. The key word here, which Jillian said is actively, right? Right. Inactively heterosexual. What she meant, I'm assuming, is she was actively dating men. Right. Time. So I'm sure that was her way of, of making sure that she wasn't saying something that could be misinterpreted, despite the fact that it has been. Right. So her saying she was she is actively heterosexual, I think she means she was actively a woman dating men. Mm-hmm. Um and at the time, and that's perfectly fine. But the reality is, is that like, this is a new concept for me. This is something that I'm still wrapping my head around. The fact that a queer woman dating a man still makes it a queer relationship. Mm -hmm. It may be straight passing. She may not experience that relationship within that relationship. She may not experience the, um, I don't, I don't want to say discrimination because it's not quite discrimination, but she, she may not experience the treatment that she would as an as a identifiable member of the LGBTQ plus community on mm-hmm. her own, mm-hmm. um, but that still makes it straight passing. Just as I am um, relatively um, feminine, despite the fact that I am queer, and so that makes me I am afforded certain privileges because I am able to pass as a straight woman. Mm-hmm. So. Um, my my main issue with this whole conversation is that people um, like to reduce Jillian to a heterosexual woman, despite the fact that she has had a relationship relationships with women in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, think that they, it's just yes, and in this sense, it is just as bad when people say she is she is straight. She is straight. She's never that is just as bad as people saying she's bisexual yeah because i i find usually people saying she's bisexual are just coming from a place of not knowing like because i think that that narrative has been skewed like i think that people just assume that she is because yeah just not knowing and because she is she's a queer icon isn't she in a way it does a queer icon need to be a queer person or does it just need to be an icon within the queer community I mean, I think it depends who you ask. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Like, I was just thinking about Lady Gaga. I'm not sure. I think she's queer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But, but the point being is that, like, she played a bisexual character um, in the fall. She is not straight whatever label she chooses to give herself or the lack of a label, which is equally as valid. Exactly. Because Um, the labels truly are to serve you. And if you find comfort and security within a label, then that's incredible. If you don't, that's also incredible. Like you don't exactly, they're not meant to pigeonhole you. It's only if you want them. And not that I'm the person to fucking speak on it anyways. No, no, but it's true. The only reason labels exist within sexuality, the only reason race exists, the only reason gender exists is because they were all cemented so that they could group people into categories, that that was easier for colonizers to to identify people. That's the only reason those things exist. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that because um, it's something that really bothers me. Jillian having dated women in the past is it's a comfort for me 
um, knowing that she is as unapologetically herself as she, you know, mm-hmm. portray, you know, embo- yeah, yeah, yeah. like everything that she portrays herself as is truly how she is. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear people say um, that she is the straightest woman that, that they've ever seen or that she um, isn't, uh, that she isn't queer or she isn't bisexual because she only dated a woman like the the the, then that brings up the conversation of like that it's totally invalidating and it brings up the conversation of like oh she was just experimenting with with when she had that relationship out of college which is so horrible it what's invalidating and it also makes uh queer women like myself feel like a lab rat (laughs) Um, for straight women and that is not a fun um, role to, no, to play. No, of course. That's so fucked up. And, and, and here's the thing, right? Because I don't want people to think that like I would love for Jillian to be dating a woman. I would love to, you know, believe mm-hmm. that she um, was able to express that part of herself throughout her life at any point that she wanted to. So I'm not saying like the jokes about her you know, being gayer than she actually is. I'm not saying that those are offensive or that those aren't funny. Well, no, because they're, they're often said in the safe space that is created for majority queer women. I think, yeah, definitively calling her something that she hasn't even labeled herself is uh, wrong. Especially when it's like it was and, with this and article. And harmful. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially like it was with this article with, um, it, it was just clickbait. Totally. Yeah, totally. And so, so that's it. So the bottom line is this bigger picture being um, you don't need, there's no requirement for any label, for any identity, for any sexuality. Uh, on, the same token, on that same token, you don't need to even have a label. The label is for you. It fits how you feel that you want to identify. And if that is as nothing, amazing. If that's as gay, amazing. If that's as queer, amazing. Like, it's all for you. It is truly some is something that should make you feel like you are at home in that space. And that's all that matters. That's beautifully put. And, uh, and that's it. I'm proud of you. And, and also I would say don't label people based on their sexual history because their sexual history is none of your business. Yep. The, um, the moral is, is that labels are to serve you. So just focus on your own and don't think about other people's. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and don't feel like you have to f- you have to fit um, into a box and like you fit into that box because you if, very well might not and that's beautiful because you're you yep exactly you make the label the label doesn't make you yeah beautiful <clears throat> and that's it and that's the episode thanks for listening thank- um and also thank you for giving me that space i hope that made sense and oh yeah i did Okay. No, you're so beautifully spoken. So proud of you. Thank you. And also, there's a picture of uh, Jillian in the revival uh, saved on my desktop that I kept looking at <laughs> involuntarily. I will. I will say, um, from when her and Mulder are handcuffed. Oh my god! And they're laying on the ground. We'll post um, it. I took the liberty of flipping it around, and uh, let me tell you. Can you send it to me? I'm unwell. Yeah, I'll send it to you right now, and then you want to get your reaction live on camera. Yeah, okay, let's do it. 
Oh god, it's a lot. <gasps> okay. No, that's enough. Oh, God. I don't... No. Okay, I need to... <sighs> All right, well, it's been fun, friends. This is a Stevie reacting this way. Imagine how, how unwell I am. Imagine how unwell you all are going to be. <laughs> yeah, I know who's listening. We'll post it. <laughs> I gotta go. I need to go hose off. Godspeed, everyone. Godspeed. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> Goodbye. uh, (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs)